welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lindner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Shelly-Anne Gajadar. Shelly-Anne is an educator, attorney and CEO of a coaching consultancy company, Alpha Stute Limited. After spending three years as a state prosecutor in Trinidad and Tobago, she chose to diversify her career from law to business. She holds a PhD in management research from King's College London, a master's with distinction in international business and emerging markets, a bachelor of laws, and a postgraduate diploma in career advice and information from Oxford and Cambridge RSA. Her deep academic experience of business and management principles coupled with her ability to intuitively tap into her clients and their blockages, has dubbed her as a performance coach with the Midas touch. shelly has successfully curated a unique path of blending law, academia and coaching, which has seen her build an online community of over 100,000. In 2020, she was announced as one of the top 100 alumni over 100 years at the University of Edinburgh Business School for her impactful work at Alpha Stute. Her life motto, Go Bravely, continues to inspire many others to lead from their heart centre. Shelly-Anne, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Caroline, and hello to the listeners. My first question to you, it's a law podcast, law careers podcast, so yeah. take take us back a few years. Why did you choose to pursue a career in law, Shelly-Anne? Right. And I'll be very honest. It really was because my mom watched a lot of Law and Order. (laughs) (laughs) And because she watched a lot of Law and Order episodes, I was really inspired by the ability of lawyers in particular to think quickly on their feet, to hold an audience, to persuasively address a jury, Uh, and to have a a high level of responsibility in their hands. And I remember from a young age, just looking at these characters on TV and saying to myself, I want to be one of those people. Um, So I really ventured into law because of the glam and the glitz of what I I saw on TV. Uh, But then when I moved into high school, I realized that law was more than the glam and the glitz. Uh, There was a lot of research Mm -hmm. uh, when it came to case law, legislation, Uh, And it really had a a path of real impact. And I felt that for where I wanted to go with my career in terms of um, being influential, but also having a voice of my own and seeing the impact, uh, law definitely became the path for me um, in high school. Yeah. And you eventually went on to practice as a state prosecutor in Trinidad and Tobago. So break that down for us. What was your day to day like? Right. So I ended up becoming a criminal prosecutor. Uh, At the time, I had a national scholarship. And when you get a national scholarship, you determine, okay, what path do you want to take? So I always held the vision of being an attorney, but specifically a criminal prosecutor. Um, And that is working for the state. Um, And I was afforded that opportunity once I completed um, my scholarship time. My day-to-day looked pretty manic. Uh, It was a role that had a heavy amount of burden on it in terms of due diligence, investigative procedures, case management, uh, witness protection, working alongside law enforcement officials. So if I were to describe my day, in one day I would probably have about eight 
criminal legal cases that I would be tending to before a magistrate, sometimes in the high court, as well too before a judge and jury. In all those eight, I would be the sole person representing the state, so the sole prosecutor, and, and basically prosecuting predominantly murders. Now, at that time, uh, the cases that I dealt with, it, it seldomly had one accused. It usually had like three, four, five accused. So what happens uh, is because I was the sole prosecutor in these cases, I'm up against sometimes three, five, seven attorneys at once for one case. Um, so it was very demanding. Uh, you have to always be ready to proceed with your case. And of course, because you are bringing the case before the judge in terms of it represent being represented by the state, um, there was always a high level of readiness and reliance that the court placed um, on you as a prosecutor. Huge amount of responsibility, as you say, yes. because you're prosecuting on behalf of the state. Um, and many of our students, Shelly-Anne, you will know this, uh, are attracted by commercial law. And I'm not, that's not to say people from Kings don't go on into criminal law, but it's an area that we don't necessarily talk about a great deal. So we have someone here today who uh, has been in that world. So what advice would you give to someone who is considering a career in criminal law? Yes, I would say one, go to court and observe criminal lawyers in action. There is a lot to be learned in the field that isn't taught in law school. And I'll give you an example. It come like, for example, confidence, uh, being able to present yourself and not be intimidated by the family of the accused who sometimes are in the, in the public gallery, um, being able to also demonstrate a level of understanding for the case law and even asking for some time from the judge as well too in instances where you may not be ready. Um, there's subtle nuances uh, that you can benefit from if you just go into the courtroom and just observe criminal lawyers in action because it's a domain that is highly intimidating. You know, there are people that, you know, it's they have been um, convicted um, of some serious offenses and they're back again in court and sometimes you have to either defend them or you are prosecuting against them and you also have the families to manage you know um, victims as well it's a very emotional space um, and I think when I went into to law no one really taught me about how to navigate the emotional terrain of criminal law so that's the first thing I would definitely say go and observe criminal lawyers in action and the second thing that I would say as well too is Understand your why for why you're doing criminal law. Again, I, I mentioned in the earlys that, you know, for me, it was all about the glitz and the glam. But when I got into criminal lawyer, criminal law as an as a prosecutor, it wasn't that glamorous. Uh, but what really kept me in that position was my why, because I knew that at that time, my country was going through a lot of criminal activity due to the drug trade uh, with Latin America. And I wanted to be a part of the change. I wanted to be a part of the order. So even though it was tough um, having a, multi a multitude of cases on a day to day, my why kept me there. I knew that in some way I was contributing to the betterment of my country. Yeah, that why is so important, isn't it, for any 
career that you go into. Um, so we're talking in the past tense here. So, um, you know, you, you decided to stop practicing and you moved to the UK to embark upon further study, first in Edinburgh and then at King's. What factors were influencing your decision to do that? Yes, so it's a unique one and it's a very personal one and it's one, it's a reason that I've also made very public as well. Uh, I left the criminal law profession because at the time of uh, at the time of working as a state prosecutor, I would have lost my mentor, who was also a state prosecutor to assassination. Um, at that time, there was a lot of security concerns, and this is something that uh, a lot of people don't know. But in the criminal law, particularly if you're doing uh, criminal law in developing countries, there isn't systems in place for criminal prosecutor protection. So a lot of times you're walking into court as a lone female by yourself. A lot of times you're dealing with intimidation from the family on your own. Um, and I would say by the third year of my career, I was very paranoid. Um, I kept looking over my shoulder. There were things that I saw that I felt I saw too soon in my career. Um, again, this emotional part, crime scene pictures, forensic reports. Um, again, these are things that law school doesn't prepare you for. The real world, when you see how sometimes ugly the real world can be, it really uh, matures you very quickly. Um, and in that space, by my third year, I was very paranoid. And then at that point, um, I would have lost my mentor to assassination. And I think at that uh, at that point, I realized I no longer want to be in this profession. Um, I felt like if this is a woman who gave her life to this field um, and yet still she was snuffed away from us so violently, then what um, what could I dream for then? You know, if you can't see where you're going, it becomes very dif difficult to even manifest it, right? So for me, I felt like I was too traumatized. And at that point, I just felt like it was time to start afresh. And I didn't want to go into commercial law. I didn't want to go into any other type of law because and I'm sure all lawyers who are listening to this would know that when you make up your mind to do a particular type of specialty of law, it becomes very, very difficult to try something else in the field. Um, and for me, um, that was the point in which I hung my hat up in law and decided to start afresh. Mm. Yeah, and I'm very, very sorry to hear about your mentor. And as you say, that was clearly a, a really critical turning point in your life. Um, happily for Kings, you ended up at Kings um, and you did like lots of other people do. You decided to study for a PhD and... I know that some of our students will be thinking about PhD in law and other subjects. So what are some of the challenges of, of, of going down that route, Shelly-Ann? Right. So I would say that the challenge, and, and I guess it's this challenge of career transitioning and pivoting um, from law into academia. For me, the challenge was more the playing field rather than the transferable skills. Mm -hmm. I I really do uh, feel like the transferable skills that I used as an attorney were 
celebrated as an as an academic and within academia uh, research communication skills presentation skills analysis all of these are the skills that you use when presenting a case in a courtroom so bringing that over into academia I, I always felt like I was a little bit ahead of the race because I came in with those skills the challenge though was the playing field so law is a very conservative space. Um, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of there's a framework that you're working within. And I think when I did the PhD journey, there wasn't much of a framework because we it's unlike a master's degree where you have a structured curriculum in your first and second and third year, you're off on your own doing research. So that level of autonomy was new for me. Um, and it was a lot around my own self-management and my own discipline and my own commitment to my research. Um, so that was the first bit of the challenge. And the second challenge I, I felt as well too was recognizing that I was an anomaly. Um, because at that time I decided to leave law and move into academia and a lot of my peers came straight out of their masters into a PhD. They had a very purely academic trajectory unlike myself um, and also being a woman of color, um, being a minority from the Caribbean, not really seeing people like myself. Um, the playing field was different and um, I, I used the opportunity of my minority status to not victimize myself but to use this as an opportunity to educate uh, and to activate my own activism as well within the space of um, academia. Yeah, and one of the things that you did, which we're very grateful to from the careers employability team, you put yourself forward for a role to help our students as part of our application advisor team. Um, so that meant you were working regularly with students to support them. I'm just keen to understand what you observed about King's students during those very regular interactions that you had. And indeed, when I first joined the service, you were very gracious that I, I sat in and observed some of your um, sessions that you did with them. So I've seen you firsthand with the students, but what did you observe about them? Yes, I observed that our students are highly ambitious. Uh, they dare to dream. And I think that's so important in a very fast paced and dynamic uh, job environment that we're currently operating in. The labor market is so different um, than it was po uh, po prior to COVID. So I feel that that dare to dream part is a, is a big characteristic of King's students. Uh, the other thing that I really admire about King's students is their receptivity. So yes, they know that they are talented yes they know that they have the great grades um, they have the great ideas but when they came to me for advice or support there was a level of receptivity that was always displayed because they were willing to learn regardless of all that they know and i think that when we move into our, any any aspect of our careers you know it's for us to not lose that appetite for learning regardless of your titles you know always remain a sponge and i think um st our students continue to do that yeah and that's a really nice sort of segue into talking about what you're doing now yes. so i gave you quite a lengthy introduction about your background and and a little bit about what you're doing but tell us a little bit more about it what what, what does shelly ann do today yeah well what i do today is i honestly live from a space of purpose 
that's what I do today. And it can look like many different things. Currently, I work with my business in terms of performance coaching. So I work with executives, entrepreneurs, students, helping them to manage themselves as well as manage others in terms of teams. Um, and I also am a content creator. So I use my social media as a way to educate, to inspire, to motivate. Um, and I also have a mentorship community, a women's mentorship community of my own, where every month I host a mentorship class on a particular business topic or career topic. Um, and also talk about how to navigate the space of the workplace, especially as a young professional, because I, I really feel that a lot of women don't have role models or don't have persons that they can just talk to without judgment. Uh, and I think space and representation is so important. So a lot of my time now is being used to create space and to have conversations around reputation and inclusion. Uh, and when where the academia is concerned, uh, I use, and this is the interesting bit, I use my academia in the form of creating educational content for my audience. So that is in the form of newsletters, that's in the form of blogs, that may be in the form of webinars. Um, so you can say that I'm a bit of like an independent researcher, but I still lend my expertise to universities um, if there is a workshop that they'd like me to attend, etc. And just out of interest, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to not assume. Your client base, not just lawyers, not just people in the legal sector, a whole range of different sectors and professions? Yes, it's a whole range. And one of the, the, one of the areas that uh, I work uh, strongly with is persons that are in higher education and looking to pivot. Um, and I find that very interesting because... Uh, I am in higher education and I wouldn't say that I've pivoted. I think I'm still in higher education, but I've made it my own. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, fi I find that a lot of the clients that I work with, they come with higher educational experience or background and they're thinking, what can I, what more can I do with this? Um, what more can I do with my PhD? What more can I do with my law degree? Um, and from my own walk, I think I've done a lot with my, my law degree um, with now business, now management. Um, and I really just want to show people that it is possible and that your career doesn't need to silo you. Yeah. And the power of mentorship is is so important for women, isn't it? Yes. Um, what, what do you observe from people who are perhaps at the more junior end of their career? I mean, how can how can mentorship be a good you know, force for change, I guess? Yes, I think mentorship allows you to see a path that has already been walked and take what you need to take from it in terms of the lessons and leave what's not relevant to you. Um, I really believe in being able to see a path and walk into it than just walking blindly into your dreams. You know, I think mentorship has the ability to and the potential to accelerate one's career growth or career trajectory. Um, and it really saves you from a lot of the mistakes, the amateur mistakes that you could be making. Uh, and the other thing I would say about mentorship that I think a lot of people overlook is that mentorship isn't about 
you getting to work with somebody that's more experienced than you. It's not always that. Mentorship can literally be peer-to-peer as well. Mentorship can take the form of you learning about another country from someone, not necessarily they having the same educational background or career choices you so I think it's it's this kind of cross fertilization of um, where we're going and and learning from each other because um, you always want to you always want to expand what you know so that you see the possibility if you're just being mentored by somebody who is who is a bit like a reflection of you um, there isn't enough room from imagination and I think with mentorship, you want to imagine, you want to, you want to have a level, a high level of creativity when you're engaging with that person. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's so important, to, as you say, to identify what's going to be right for you and helpful for you. But it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't actually be carbon copy. Otherwise, we'd never evolve, and yes. there would be no inclusivity or diversity. So that's yes. uh, really important message. Thank you. Um, you mentioned there about how you use your social media and your academic background to provide educational content. Uh, social media space is very, very busy, and we quite often get students coming to us overwhelmed because there's so much going on on LinkedIn and uh, other things that they are, uh, you know, they have become subscribed to. So, want to turn this on a positive note? Uh, how can students embrace online tools and social media to enhance their employability rather than see it as a a negative? Yes. So I think the great thing about social media is that you control the narrative. And that's an opportunity that a lot of us don't get when we are applying for jobs. And I say that because most times persons are judging you just from a CV and a cover letter, but there is so much more to you that they may not know about or that you may not be able to capture in those documents. So I would say for anybody that's interested in social media, I think the, the, the main thing to focus on on social media is your value system. You know, a lot of us think, oh, well, we need to have the great content. We need to have the, the great camera. We need to have a great setup. And I'm saying, no, get clear on your values and create content around your values. Because that's when you create content around your values, you're you're giving people an understanding of the things you stand for, which can be so hard, again, to capture in documents. So I'll say start first with your values. An example is my one of my core values is bravery. Um, and another one of my core values is learning and education. So I'm going to talk about taboo topics. I'm going to talk about topics that um, some people may want to discuss or debate current affairs issues. So bringing that into the space of, of social media, but still honoring what I stand for. And another thing I would say about social media as well is to be mindful of who you're speaking to. You know, yes, there is so many different uh, categories of people within your audience, but get clear, clear about who am I specifically wanting to speak to? Because when you know who you want to speak to, the language changes, the jargon changes, the tone changes, the content you produce changes. You're speaking to that person. You're creating content around their relevance um, and what's what's familiar to them. And I think that that helps with employability because. Right now, employers are definitely seeing the power and the influence of social media and understanding that people are not just coming with a CV and a cover letter. They're coming with a personality as well, too. They're coming with um, a digital black book, almost mm -hmm. a 
of networks. And I would, and as a matter of fact, I would say that in my career at the moment, uh, a lot of my collaborations and new work that I've gotten is because of my social media following. Um, so it can work in your favor. So I say, get clear on your values and get clear on who you're speaking to. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You've already mentioned this a little bit, but I'd like to just to you to reflect on this your legal education and the experience you've had in law you know how has it helped you over the years I mean you mentioned very clearly what it had done to help you to be uh, you know have a positive PhD experience with what you brought to the table um, what else has it helped you yeah if I think about it there's two things that come to mind immediately one is bravery it taught me to be brave. Mm. Uh, the law profession, as I said, it's one thing to be in law school, but when you get into that courtroom, when you step into that courtroom, or the spotlight is on you, all eyes are on you, and it's literally sink or swim. So it brings out a high level of bravery inside of you. And the second thing that law did for me as well, um, is it really, and I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll say it. it, it really helped me to see see the agenda mm -hmm. see the agenda of stakeholders and people when you're doing law you're representing somebody's interest we all have an interest we all have an agenda we all have something that is a top priority for us and i think what law did is it opened my eyes to the fact that everything that you see on the surface level may not be what it is and always remembering that when people come, they come with agendas and kind of sussing out what is that person's agenda and where does my agenda fit into this? Um, mm -hmm. So that was something that it taught me as well. Yeah, the, the huge amount of psychology that's involved mm -hmm. in the profession perhaps doesn't come across yes. when you're studying it. When you're studying it. You see it on the television quite often, but yes. as you say, that, that itself is not a true reflection of yeah. what's going on and I was really interested you said earlier on about you know get into courtrooms and observe cases and I was speaking with a King student a few weeks ago and I was very pleased to hear that he and another couple of Dixon Poo students had just gone and sat in Perfect. on one of the cases of RCJ so the Royal Courts of Justice um, and I just thought that you can't get better experience than sitting there and seeing it happen and mm -hmm. deciding could I see myself doing that exactly and in real time as well <laughs> so yeah, you, can't, you can't edit your mistakes yeah no exactly exactly um we have come to the, our, our final question today um which is uh, a quite a broad one but i'm sure you're going to have something useful to say for our listeners what advice do you have for people who as they navigate their career journey particularly our listeners most of whom will be quite uh, usually at the earliest stages of their careers what advice do you have for them I would say to explore, have a spirit of exploration when you're going about law. Know that once a lawyer, always a lawyer. And that is something that even I hold very dear to my heart. Even though I'm not in a courtroom, if I get a contract, my lawyer hat is on, you know, yeah. so that skill set that you learn, you never lose. You might feel pressure right now to fit into a specialty or to succeed at a specialty. And I just want to say to you that law is one of the most transferable and flexible degrees you can ever do because the skill set is so transferable. So I'd say be gentle with yourself. 
allow yourself to explore, allow yourself to experience the different fields and whatever you land on, give it your best shot. And if your best shot isn't enough, try something else. Um, just know that you already have a trump card, which is a law degree, and that can do so much for you. So if your field isn't going well, don't give up. Don't worry about it. Uh, because as I said, you are in such a competitive space um, to create something really unique with your career. I couldn't have put it better myself. And at that point, I am going to, to say thank you very much for uh, joining us today. And just before I let you get on with the rest of your day, Shelley, and I just want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with another episode of Let's Talk Law. But in the meantime, it's been wonderful to welcome you back into the King's Fold. Yeah. Uh, lovely to see you today, to hear all about what you're doing at the moment, but also to hear about what you learned from what you've done in the past. And that's such an important part of growing professionally and personally isn't it so yeah. thank you so much it's been lovely chatting with you and we hope to welcome you back to kings of the not too distant future um yeah. for, for an event or an alumni event so thank you so much thank you so much caroline and thank you to the listeners